Right, I'd like us now uh, to turn to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, please. And Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40. Now, could I say, um, I'm hoping to finish by 25 to 8 this evening. Um, Those who want to observe the minute silence uh, for the Queen at 8 o'clock, by all means, kind of leave then. Um, Obviously, there will be be a chance for people to to stay here and chat. But in fact, uh, 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 the the formal part to our meeting finishes at 25 to tonight or round about 25-2. Right, Isaiah chapter 40, um, which is on page 712, and um, I want us to start reading from verse uh, 2021. Actually, so that's page 713. Do you not know, do you not hear Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, God, who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted... Scarcely sown, scarcely is their stem taken root in the earth, when he blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble, the presidents, the dictators, the kings, the princes of this world, as indeed it's true of human beings too, but there's nothing to be feared uh, ultimately from those great bombastic dictators that often astride the world scene. However, to whom will you then compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings them out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing, referring to the stars and the galaxies. Verse 27 Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not heard? Have you not, sorry, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now let's uh, ask the Lord's help as we look into the word of God. Let's, let's now pray. O oh, Father in heaven. Uh, We do ask you that you may show us wondrous things in your word. We pray, Lord, that you will apply to our souls mighty truths that have sustained millions of your people down these past centuries. But, Lord, we need these truths today. And so, Lord, may your Holy Spirit bless us and help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Good evening. <laughs> now, uh, we have here in verses 28 onwards these marvelous, these marvelous sentences. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now look, the message of Isaiah, which was, this was written in the seven centuries before Jesus, has two audiences. One was a narrower audience of quite a lot of people, hundreds of thousands, if not over a million people. That is, people of the Jewish exile who had been carried away as, as prisoners to a far-off land from where they'd come from, from Jerusalem and from the environment around Judea, all the way over to Babylon, which, of course, is in, in, in modern-day Iraq. And th- this message was for them. But also, this message is for a worldwide audience today and has actually been for a, an audience uh, ever since it was given a worldwide audience. Uh, because the Word of God is living and active, Sharper than any two-edged sword, we're told in the Bible. It's a living thing. No matter how much, uh, you know, uh, computer programs and artificial intelligence may stagger us with what they can do, it is nothing compared to what the Word of God can do in people's lives and in people's souls. The word of God, God's message, when the Holy Spirit has, has uh, a hand on it, upon it, it brings life into the, into the very souls of men and women. The word of God tells us about Jesus and how he, he came into this world and suffered and died so that his life might be transferred to ours. And of course, when someone is listening and humble and is prepared to receive this word, then the life of God is transferred to us. I mean, if you are looking for, for peace with God, eternal life, forgiveness, the Bible says, and indeed it says in the book of Isaiah, the same book that I've read from just now, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. And there's a promise that, that all the ends of the earth will actually come and receive and trust Jesus Christ from whatever country, whatever uh, language group, whatever background, whatever age. There's a transference of the life of Jesus into yours as you trust that Jesus is your saviour. As you, as you call out to him, ask him to be your saviour, you receive him. And I, I, I pray that if you're listening online or, for, or you're in church tonight, that each one of us indeed may gladly receive this wonderful living word of God. Now, this particular message which, as I've said, was originally offered to a, a narrow audience, but is also one now to a worldwide audience, is a message, really, which is about having embarked upon a journey, or just about to embark on a journey with God, to be encouraged that on that journey, you are going to find strength. 
to the Jewish exile who, exiles who were living about a thousand miles away from their, their homeland, there seemed to be so many problems about how can we ever get home? We are, many of them were slaves, but some of them were, were actually had good jobs in the Babylonian Empire, but there was no way that as individuals they could make their way back. It wasn't allowed. And at the same time, uh, those who were slaves had no chance at all of being released to get back to their homeland and to worship God. And the, the message of Isaiah is that all of this was known from, from, from uh, ages past, from eternity. And God knew that people would be reduced to that, that, that stage in their lives, but they could find the strength and the power because it is the everlasting, ever-living God that is giving that power. Because when it, it says that, uh, don't you know, haven't you heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. God has power, infinite power, that is overflowing. And his power may be received by us mentioned to begin with the transfer of power from Jesus as, as we trust in him the transfer of of life from him forgiveness purification of the soul comes from Jesus but indeed strength also for for living the journeys of our lives that may be difficult and hard comes from him I mean today uh, the worldwide audience of believers millions of believers all over the planet have downturns in life, difficulties, discouragements, disappointments. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we think, we, oh, I've, I'm, I've got peace with the Lord, and we've we go on for a few weeks, a few months, and then maybe we, we just don't get the fellowship. Maybe we fall into a particular sin, or maybe even worse than falling into one sin, we actually get trapped in a hab- habit of sin. And that becomes the dominating feature of our life rather than the habit of walking with Jesus Christ. And we then grow tired and weary of our Christian life and we, we stumble and we fall. And here is where this message of encouragement comes. God's understanding is unsearchable. He knew when he called believers to become, uh, to become those who follow Christ... He knows all about the sins we've done in the past, but he also knows about our weaknesses in the present. He knows where we've been backsliding. He knows our failures, and he loves us all of the same. And he can give us hope. And uh, he, can actually, he can actually give us new strength. And I want to look at this passage in a bit of detail to give us uh, some idea how it applied in context to the Jewish people, but also how it can apply in the Christian life. Now, firstly, I want us to uh, just to think about this cataclysm, which was the destruction of Jerusalem, the invasion by the Babylonians in 587 years before Christ. That's roughly 2,787 years ago, <laughs> roughly, um, when the hope of an independent nation, uh, of, of living your own life in, in a peaceful way on your own little plot of land, seemed to be completely destroyed. The Babylonians were a, a highly modern, effective, organized military power who were intent upon recreating their empire. Um, historians call uh, the attack upon the, uh, the, the Jewish nation in those days the, 
the attack of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, <laughs> or the expansion of it. Uh, and it was called the Neo-Babylonian Empire because there had been a Babylonian Empire going back centuries and centuries before, which was an incredibly powerful empire. Under Nebuchadnezzar, it swept through uh, various uh, city-states and areas around, around Israel and uh, in 587 completely conquered the, uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, Jerusalem, which had been rebelling against uh, uh, the Babylonian uh, force. Jerusalem is destroyed, these people are taken into exile, and their hopes of having an independent Jewish nation completely destroyed, and Israel's fate was, from a human point of view, to be exactly the same fate that dozens of city-states and countries suffered in those days. Their, their culture and nationhood passed into nothingness. And they were completely forgotten, apart from when archaeologists came up and started picking up picking up material about these, these places. And Israel would just be a footnote on an archaeologist's uh, you know, list of failed nation-states that disappeared two and a half thousand years ago. And that's how the Israelites felt. That's why it, it actually, you know, there's this um, um, a quotation which I think is the, the Lord gives. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? By the way, many believers today say this. God is, is forgetting me. It may be that because they, they, they feel guilty because of their sins and they've just wandered in the dark for so long they think God has forgotten them. Sometimes it's because we go through times of, of, of trial. Um, we may have traumatic breakups that make us feel, oh, how can God allow this to happen? I'm torn apart. Maybe that we have ongoing and difficult trials with illnesses, uh, with other problems. It might be mental illness. And we think, oh, God has forgotten us. But God has not forgotten you. God, you know, why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? He's the creator of the, end of the uh, ends of the earth. His understanding is unsearchable. And he knows exactly our situation. We may say, the Lord has forsaken me. That's what it says in Isaiah 49, verse 14. But the Lord will remember his people. Isaiah in 49, 15 records God as saying this. Can a woman forget her baby child on her breast? That she should have compassion, have no compassion on, on the child of her womb? Even if a woman does forget this, I will never forget you, says God. Behold, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Now, how wonderful this is for a believer. You, your names are engraved on the palms of the Lord's hands. The infinite God has a record of every one of his children, millions and millions of them, but because he is infinitely powerful and of infinite understanding, he has a complete knowledge and a complete love for every one of his children. This is, this is, this is transformational truth, isn't it? Um, it's incredible. Um, you see, many people just, will, you know, uh, in Israel, just wouldn't, couldn't hardly take this in. They'd lived the whole 70 years. Same period of time that... Uh, our queen was on the throne. Seventy years they'd lived in exile. 
And they felt, uh, as it says in Isaiah 49.21, you'll say in your heart, I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away. In other words, like a woman who's lost her parents, is married but unable to have children, her husband abandons her, exiles her, and puts her away. So she can't come anywhere near her family home. That's how, that's how the, 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 uh, the Israelites felt. But then the Lord says, who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. From where have these come? Because this childless woman, this childless woman in Isaiah 49 verse 22, suddenly sees a multitude of the children she never had. They're there. Suddenly, there's a family there. There's a new life there. 49 verse 22, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders, kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens shall be your nursing mothers. Then you will know that I am the Lord God, those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Now, I could honestly, I could say so much more about the message of Isaiah to these people. Um, but I'm actually going to have to lay these notes aside. Otherwise, I will not finish by, 20, uh, by 25, uh, 25 to 8. Uh, I just want to say this, that that last verse expresses this tremendous fact that those who wait for the Lord will not be put to shame. And the promises that we have in uh, Isaiah 40 to 49, um, really, well, Isaiah 40 to 54, are promises of the fact that the prisoners will be rescued and their captors defeated. The new liberator, and it was a political leader called Cyrus, a king, was actually going to come along uh, in, uh, in the year five, roughly 538, and completely destroy the power of Babylon in an incredibly short period of time, and then give a proclamation that all peoples who'd been captured could be allowed to go home, and that included the, the Israelites, the Jewish people. And thirdly, that this God of history is not just a God of history, he's with us in our history. And I'll just read a verse which I was going to talk about a bit more, but I'll just read it quickly. Listen to me, you descendants. This is Isaiah 46, verse 3. Listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel. You have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born, even though they didn't realize it, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Now, that's the, uh, that's the um, message uh, that uh, uh, the Lord has had for the Israelites. Um, but I want us to notice this, that uh, the Lord has a wonderful message also for people who aren't Jewish and for the people today. And that's what I want to think of as we look at these verses um, in the context of our lives, these timeless truths. Uh, the... The, the truths that I'm going to concentrate on is Isaiah uh, uh, 40, verse 29. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. 
Youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. Now, this applies to us as believers. That God can renew our strength so that we're able to to, to soar on spiritual wings like eagles over spiritual problems. Run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. Now, let's look at this expression, those that wait upon the Lord. What does that mean, wait upon the Lord? I mean, in old-fashioned English, being waiting upon someone meant actually meant being you know, giving them a cup of tea or something, or you know, cleaning their boots. But no, in, in the Hebrew Scriptures, waiting upon God is a combination of being patient, but praying in faith and in expectancy that God is going to work. Now Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. Now he said that not to make us think, oh well I can't do anything then, oh I might as well not do anything. No. (laughs) It's without me you can do nothing. So we're to call upon Christ constantly. We're we're to be dependent upon him. We're to trust in him. Now this is true of course when it comes to us being saved. If someone wants to to actually uh, come to Christ, it may be that someone yet I mentioned earlier about coming to the Lord. Maybe you yet haven't come to Christ. Well, what we, what we need to understand is that our human effort is not going to work. Youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. Why? Well, because actually with physical strength, uh, there's a limit to it. And uh, obviously people are at their peak of their athletic performance when they're in their mid-twenties. But even someone in their, at that peak of their athletic performance reach a point in whatever, uh, uh, whatever competition they're in, whether it's a marathon or whether it's a med- middle distance race, or even for that matter, if it's only a 400 meter sprint, they reach a point where their body shuts down. Lactic acid starts to accumulate in their muscles, and they're basically, they no longer can run as fast as they, as they were, and then they finally break down and can't run at all. Human efforts are flawed because we're not superhuman. We're human. Human efforts in terms of religion are flawed because we are actually unholy. Human motivation. Oh, I I really want to be a good person. Well, good, but that's not really going to help you because our our motivation is, is polluted with pride and ultimately toxic. Because if we, if, we, if we put all of our effort into becoming a good person, we then pat ourselves on the back and say, well, aren't I a good person? Pride. That's, the Bible says that we all have been weakened by the power of sin within our nature. And human nature is useless to come to Christ. But Jesus died that we might have everlasting life. We might have forgiveness. And we might have the power of the Spirit in our lives. And the wonderful thing is this. That when we recognize that our efforts are useless to come to reach God's standards, then we trust in Jesus and just ask him to take us on, to lift us up, to bear away our sins. And we ask for his strength in our lives. 
And uh, I, would, uh, I would say to you and ask you, if you haven't yet actually turned to the Lord, come to him with nothing in your hands, no, no claim to be a good person. Just come to him and, and say, Lord, I am broken, toxic. I'm a sinner. I'm a failure. Please forgive me. And please make me spotless and lift my burdens and give me eternal life. Now, having said that, that's the start of the Christian life. But the thing is, as we go on as Christians, we often fail. We weaken in faith. I've mentioned already, we miss, sometimes we, we don't get fellowship regularly. And we grow weak and, and we almost give up. And sometimes we get in such a, such a state in our lives, we feel almost it's the end. I mean, I, that happened to me many years ago now, but I reached the point where I felt like I was going down a dark tunnel and I just felt I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I felt spiritually, I'm talking about, I wasn't depressed emotionally, but spiritually, I felt I was really under the power of sin in my life. And I had no hope. And praise the Lord, the Lord broke in in that situation. I was a Christian, but I felt I was on the way out. But the Lord broke in. Uh, I went to a church. Um, actually... <laughs> The name of church came into my mind, and I actually got in my car and traveled about 150 miles to get to that church. And uh, the Lord uh, spoke to me in that service, and I knew he'd have me back. It was, one, it was fantastic, uh, singing the hymns, knowing that the Lord was having me back. He gave me new hope and a new life. Now, this, I believe, is what Isaiah is doing for the, not just for the Israelites, giving them hope, giving them uh, uh, strengthening and encouraging them on the journey that faced them to go back to Israel, which is what eventually happened. They, they actually, uh, within a few years, uh, with a leader uh, who was appointed by, the, by the, uh, Cyrus, the, the Persian king, who had taken over Babylon, under that leader they were able to go back and start life again in, uh, in Jerusalem. We in the Christian life, at whatever stage we are in the Christian life, this principle remains. Those who wait upon the Lord, those who wait upon the Lord, are going to renew their strength and they're going to soar with wings like eagles. They'll walk and run and not be weary. They will have new life. Now, um, it's interesting, I believe, that if we trace our way through the New Testament, specifically the book of Romans, I believe that these, um, these um, promises are actually applied in the book of Romans. You see, the book of Romans tells us in, uh, that it, uh, Paul said that, that he wanted to explain the good news that he was preaching to the world. And in the first three chapters, well, really, the first five chapters of the book of Romans, he explains the basic gospel of about forgiveness and the cross. But from Romans 6 onwards, he goes on to address defeated, sin-dominated, failed Christians, and he shows them that on their Christian journey, there's hope, there's encouragement, and there's strength. Living a new life. So in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, which uh, uh, you're welcome to turn to. I'll give you the page number. Um, because a number of these verses that I'm looking at um, are, in, well, are in Romans. Um, Romans chapter 6, verse 4, which is on page 1120. He says, if we have been united with him 
In a death like his, we shall be certainly united with him in a resurrection like his. What is the promise here? The promise is of new life. Jesus rose from the dead. If we trust in Christ, we're united with him, his life is transferred to us. We're given new life, a changed life. Actually, the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew word, um, which is translated um, you know, we'll, um, in the text that uh, we, we can have... Uh, we can uh, renew our strengths is actually change our strength the actual literal translation is change our strength change our strength which is exactly what happens when we when we turn to Christ from from depending on our spiritual strength our old human nature it now changes because we now have a new nature given to us by God the resurrection life and uh, we're promised that uh, if we've been united with him in a death like his We shall be united with him in a resurrection. And if we have died to our old self, turned away from our old ways, then we will live a new life. 6 verse 4 says, um, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, uh, why is this important? Well, as I said, some of us as Christians reach a point where we feel, oh, I'm, I've got too many bad habits. I, I can't really change. I keep on going back. And, you know, when I, whenever I've been going regularly to church, I felt good, but then I stopped going. And I'm not. Well, we're, we're given the hope that we have new strength and new life. Look at Romans 6, verse 12. Paul says this, uh, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members uh, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God, to those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under law but under grace. Now, Isaiah said to the to the Israelites, Babylon is going to be destroyed. You are now going to be free from their control. They, they will no longer have dominion over you. You will stride forth into, into freedom. And this is what the Lord says to us. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. You're no longer under the, the, the law which condemns you. All of the rules, uh, the holy rules of God, which of course are, are wonderful and marvelous, but since we can't keep them, they, they, they torture us because we can't keep them and we know that if we, if we don't keep them we're going to a lost eternity, we're going to hell but we're no longer under the law and the fear of the law but in fact we're under Christ we've been set free from the domination of sin and we've been set free to live a new life now, now a lot of people would say oh it'd be great if I didn't have to follow any laws but Jesus says yeah, you don't have to, you no longer have to follow the laws, you follow me. And if you follow me, you'll fulfill all of those laws. And you'll do it not out of guilt, not out of fear, because you'll want to. You'll want to fulfill the law of Christ. And uh, offer your, yourself uh, to Christ as, as servants of holiness. Uh, Paul goes on to say in Romans 7 verse 4, we're set free from the captivity Exactly, the captivity of Babylon. We're now set free from the captivity of guilt and sin. Romans 7 verse 4 says this, 
Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we are living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our, our members to, to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The Christian now, oops, the Christian now is no longer, is no longer um, just keeping rules. It's no longer that we're just, we're just all the time concentrating, oh, I've got to keep this rule, I've got to keep that rule. No. We're following Christ and allowing his love to, fulfill, to, fulfill, to, to fill us. And as we are filled by his love and follow the Spirit and uh, obey his commands, we actually will be fulfilling all of those rules without even looking at them. It, will be, it becomes natural uh, to the believer to live a life of holiness and love. And we're on a journey home. And, uh, you know, the Israelites, uh, to get back, the Jews, to get back from Babylon, it was a journey of some months. It was quite a, uh, quite a uh, uh, long journey. Um, and, uh, but they had directions from God, encouragement from God in the Bible. And we're on a journey into the future. Uh, some of us may live for another 50 or 60 years. Some of us may have... Ten years, one year left, a few months left, who knows? We're on a journey home, but the Lord has given us a compass in, in the Bible and a living guide in the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul says in Romans 8 verse 2, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives us life, has set us free from the law of, the sin, of sin and death. And he goes on to say uh, in Romans uh, 8 verse 9, If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And he is a living person, giving us living strength in, in him. So when I was getting back to our, our, our text in Isaiah, when, when it says in Isaiah, they that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, shall change their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's, we have a replacement strength. Instead of the strength of our ego, our desire to compete, whatever it is, our, our desire to, oh, you know, I, I really want to finish this. God actually changes where our spiritual life is coming from. It's like he finds a replacement engine. Um, I, I used to, I, I've had a whole series of old bangers of cars. I've had over 20 old bangers, I'm proud to say, in my, in my lifetime of cars, you know, uh, which I've kept for a year or two and then exchanged for another old banger. And uh, often the reason why I've exchanged the old banger is because it's been banging too much and the engine has been fading away. And, uh, you know, on one occasion I, I remember um, changing uh, 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 an engine on a car, which is quite easy to change. A beetle engine is really easy to change, an old-fashioned beetle. You could get the engine out within three or four minutes. The whole engine comes out, just un uh, unscrew, just a few large screws, and you get it out, and then you could put a new engine, a brand-new engine in it. Now, the Bible tells us we change our strength. And we, for, for our old banger, we have a turbocharged racing car engine within us. 
This is being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mighty power. When we look at Ephesians chapter 6, in a month or so from now, we'll be looking at what that means, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mighty power. And he gives this to us for our spiritual life. Now let's be realistic. We're not here talking about God is going to make someone who is old like me suddenly young again. No, our body's not going to get rejuvenated. You know, uh, all of us, uh, being human beings, living in a, a weakened, sinful world, our bodies will get old, weak, ill, fatigued, broken down. Our minds also will be subject to the same decay. Some of us, unfortunately, will have Alzheimer's or will have some other mental, uh, mental problems as we get older. We're not, as Christians, we're not guaranteed from not having, not having that kind of thing happening to our bodies or our brains. But what we're talking about here is, is that inner spiritual strength that enables us to trust in the Lord. I've mentioned this uh, a year or two ago, but I can remember an old lady uh, that I visited. I knew her very well for 50 years ago. And 35 years ago, I, I visited her in an old people's home. And then she was in her 80s. And she couldn't remember much about um, the previous 10, 10, 15, 20 years or so. And uh, I went to her in, in this old people's home. I had a lovely chat with her about the Lord. And she was still strong in God and she was witnessing to people in the old people's home. And she said, oh, by the way, what's your name? Now, I'd known her for 10 years, you know, she forgot my name. And I said, oh, my name's Ed Ball. And she said, oh, it's funny, I used to know a man called that. You've got the same name as him, you know. Now, the thing is, she'd lost her mental faculties, but her spirit was still strong in God as it had been all of her life. And this is the promise that scripture gives to us. If we wait upon him, and this is where I'm going to finish. I'm already one minute over time, but I'm just going to challenge us now. Waiting upon the Lord is actively praying, but passively waiting for God. A lot of people think, yes, we pray, and then we see an instant answer. No, that's not what the Bible says, and that's not what the word waiting means. It means really praying as though things will happen in Five minutes from now, with great, great uh, fervency, but being prepared to wait for 10 minutes, 10 days, 10 years uh, for God to answer our prayers. God will answer our prayers. He will give us spiritual strength. Those who wait upon the Lord will grow strong. The things we're praying about may take time. Here's the church, small church. How's this church going to get filled? Many people here have been praying for for many years that the whole church will be filled. You know, well, let's carry on praying. Do we think that God is not going to answer prayer? Do we? Maybe we, maybe we maybe we, we think he won't. Does it mean that we will be here to see the church filled? Well, I'm, I'm hoping some of the younger will, but maybe not me. But let's wait expectantly that the Lord will fulfill the prayers that we pray. A waiting church is an expectant church. This is why prayer is so important in a church. Why prayer meetings are so important as well as private prayer. Um, um, Spurgeon gives a, a picture in, in a sermon. He, he, uh, uh, he wrote on one of the phrases in Isaiah 40. And he talks about 
um, uh, in this illustration of, of a, a nest of small little chicks. And they've all got their mouths open and they constantly keep their mouth open waiting for the mummy bird to come along and put a, put a bit of a worm in their mouth, a little bit of worm, and each one gets a little bit of worm. Always open. And uh, as Spurgeon says, it says in, in Scripture, you know, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And a church must be an expectant church knowing that God is going to answer prayer whenever it is. But it's got to be a patient church. And I'm going to finish on this quotation. The patience, and this patience, is, to the utter, is utterly desirable in a thousand matters. We need to endure affliction, persevere in holiness, continue in hope, and carry on with our integrity. Patience is the long life of virtue and sets on its head the crown of experience. It's no child's play to continue to suffer affliction with joy. That's really hard. To remain for years perfectly peaceful and accepting of the will of God. And let that will, will be what it may, may be. It needs the eyes of faith to see God in the dark. And to believe in his love when he seems angry. And to rest in his promise when he takes a long time over it. Now, let's, uh, let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us uh, to call upon you for strength. When we are weary. When we feel like giving up. When we are disappointed, when we're discouraged, Lord, when, we, uh, when we, things are getting on top of us, Lord, help us to wait upon you. With, uh, and, and Lord, we thank you that you've promised as we wait upon you, Lord, you, you strengthen us and help us and encourage us. And you grant us that we can soar with wings like eagles over the mountains of discouragement, over the hills of despondency, Lord. As we wait upon you, you grant your Holy Spirit to encourage us in our lives. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.